co-owner of what is it enhancing life gym right yes i got you where's that out of that is in lexington kentucky okay how did it come about because i know you've been in the the mentorship field for quite some time yes it was a little bit by accident and i was fired from my job okay same time as my current business partner right now. Yeah. And I had a lot of clients that wanted to follow me and I wasn't ready to become a gym owner. So I reached out to a gym that was sitting empty because Mm. it was part of a personal training school that I went through when I was 19. Yeah. And I asked him if he was willing to rent me out the space so I could just share the space with the personal trainer students and then build our own gym within the space since it was just sitting there empty. Oh, that's, that's clever. See, that's, that's a better idea though. You know, most people just think they need to start from scratch, but you guys kind of fell into something pretty, uh, some good opportunity with that. That's awesome. It was, yeah, it was the best opportunity because then I got integrated into the school. I became their lead instructor. So it was, it all ended up working out really like in my favor. So it really, so it brought, it brought like an extra funnel of people your way. Kind of, it brought you into a system where you were able to get clients a little easier. Or it was a, it put us in a situation where we weren't so pressured to get clients. Yeah. Because our overhead was so low, that's ridiculously great. low. See, that's perfect. <laughs> Jeez, what a good, what a good thing. Yeah. And so we were bringing in money or I was bringing in money through the school yeah. and mentoring and workshops. And then we had our clients and we weren't really pressured to grow that big and put in a ton of effort into marketing, which the negative and positive outcomes from that, because we prefer people coming through referrals and we mm. prefer word of mouth. Uh, I don't like dealing with cold leads. Totally. I know that's something we need to work on. But it did allow us to grow a little slower. And after the pandemic hit, our rent mm-hmm. was expected to go up about two to three hundred dollars a month each month Yikes. because we were about to take over the entire building. Yeah. But of course, COVID hit that kind of messed up the plans for that. But then our client was amazing and basically bailed us out and built our gym in his own business building and now we're operating from that place which ended up working out even better for us man so it kind of it's it kind of it's it goes back to when you said about marketing the the word of mouth thing and kind of developing a relationship with your your clients you know that's what brought that about i i imagine you know just because whoever this person was he liked you guys you know You, you get like geez he just wanted to extend a hand he didn't want to lose his gym. There you go. That too. That's, <laughs> that's a, nice, that's yeah, a good that's motivator. A nice <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Totally. No, but I think that's, I think that's awesome. I know a lot of people down here where I'm at, um, tried to open gyms and, you know, due to, due to COVID the, the overhead was already so high and they were, you know, the, the rent in some of these strip malls down in Louisiana is in, in insane. You know, it's it's not a great place to do business, and they just close down immediately. You know, it's like they opened up, COVID hit, they're done. So, wow. yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's the statistics. At one point, it was forty to fifty percent of gyms were going to shut down, yeah. and I can totally see that. And we 
completely lucked out. Mm-hmm. Our clients definitely bailed us out. They continue to pay throughout the pandemic. We did end up losing about half our revenue for a few months because we were shut down for about five months, I think. Yeah. But our clients really came through and it, it really showed us all this effort and time that we put into our community. Sure. It, it really showed when, when we needed their help. Man, that's that's beautiful. I love that. And then, as far as your business goes, are you do you do your coaching on the side as well, like mentoring coaches, or is that kind of built into what you're doing at this gym? A little bit of both. Okay. I, for the longest time, I I had separated the two, but yeah. I do try to include both of them because they're both so integrated. Yeah. And the pandemic, we ended up moving all of our group classes online and I ended up creating a new service, which is called mindful movement. Okay. And it's basically a yoga class. It's a, a class where we work on a lot of basic positions, basic cues, and it's basically taking everything that we do in the gym and the warm up setting and mm. making it into this flowy That's yoga. Cool. Intro class and it's all online and so when we were doing all this I realized that I could include coaches in these classes and make it into a mentorship because they could get to be exposed with my coaching and be coached by me because the three years that I spent at the school Mm -hmm. I spent an entire year fighting with the owner of the (laughs) school yeah (laughs) begging him to let me train the students because I was a really big believer on the way you teach coaches how to coach is mm-hmm. by coaching them. You can't just start teaching biomechanics and anatomy. They have to feel it. They have to go through it. They have I to agree with that. It. Big time, big time. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I ended up doing and the students that caught on to me and followed me on Instagram and followed my blog and saw, Oh wow. Like Lucy, is actually a speaker and talks about this stuff and people from all over the country learn from her. Mm -hmm. I want to learn that. So they ended up coming in early. And what I ended up doing is I would come in early and I would train them on my time off and they would come in on their time off. So I felt like it was, it was a good thing to give my time to because I really wanted to help them. And what I noticed was the people who were coached by me progressed and caught on a lot faster, even compared to the ones that you would consider them being smarter or wittier or caught on faster when it comes to learning from a book. Yeah. The people who were consistently coached by me just seemed to be better coaches. And I got to see that in real life because they got to work with the public. So I got to see my work fail a ton of the time. Your approach is is way more practical too. Uh, I coming from like the school system and everything when you're trying to get a degree of of any kind, nothing nothing is necessarily felt the the way you're trying to do it right through your yoga teaching. It's it's not it's just taught and you're just meant to understand it. So so it it makes perfect sense why people would take to your training so much so much more readily is just because it's it's better it's it's way better you know like they feel it they do it they experience it yeah you learn from experience and that's what we ended up doing with these zoom classes so now coaches get to log into my mindful movement classes and at the end of it they get to ask questions my clients log off and it has been pretty amazing to see the coaches progress i have one 
girl that's been doing it since September. She's been taking my class and since the pandemic hit. Okay. Because at, for a while I was offering a free one on Sundays. And you can see when I see her videos and I see her coaching, you can see how much intuition she's built around just going through it. She doesn't have to break it down in her head a ton. She doesn't have to think step by step. It's just so much intuition goes into her coaching and I can see it mm. just by her going through it. Wow. That's awesome. And then uh, you mentioned briefly, you said it was, since it's based on yoga, is it kind of, is it blending like Tai Chi movements with yoga? Is it sort of both, both things? It's blending my, my view on biomechanics. Okay. Or it's, just, it's blending, it's, it's blending a restorative movement practice awesome. with our training model. So That's with cool. our training model, we are very specific on how we do certain things. Okay. And I've always been this way and my reason behind it has evolved throughout the years. But back in the day when I first got started, the idea of neutral spine and ribs down was introduced to me as the safe way to lift weights and the right way to lift weights. And I have a very obsessive personality and I impose my will on a lot of people. So I imposed it on all of my clients and I was very strict. Everything had to be done a certain way in order mm -hmm. to be safe. And of course my intent was always keeping my clients safe or at least yeah, that's what it, I it thought was, I was doing. It was good. Yeah. A good yeah, intent and to, for that. And I got a lot of results and I got a lot of people who were scared of lifting weights, got mm -hmm. them safe enough to try lifting weights. And my boss was an ex power lifter. So the, the pressure was there. The pressure was to get people lifting, but I also had this other pressure I put on myself of getting people to do it right. And so it was a really good balance because I did have to progress people and that was expected of me. But as I've gotten older and started learning more and learning about pain, I realized that this idea of being so strict, one, is not really working. The, the results I'm getting might not be because of the what I'm thinking. It might yeah. not be just because of biomechanics. It might not just be because of posture. And finding out that this approach can actually lead to really bad consequences, like maladaptive beliefs fear avoidance mm -hmm. and now seeing lifting as this binary thing of right or wrong. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you don't want to do that as a, no. a coach. So I'm finding this out. I'm like, crap, I'm messing people up. And the problem with that was the positive things out of me being so strict because I was so strict, my clients are super independent. My sessions run themselves because we have these standards and I didn't want to let go of that. So what I ended up doing throughout the last few years was I developed a model that has these strict standards, but because of the way we communicate about it and the way we approach it and the way we explain it, it doesn't paint this picture of lifting as this binary thing of right or wrong. Yeah. It's more of this is just how we do things here. And the way we introduce it to a client is, you know, there's because a lot of our clients fear that they're doing things wrong or right. And we don't want that. So we say things like, you know, there's not really a right or wrong way to lift weights. But if you want to progress and you want to get stronger, the important thing here is consistency. You want to load consistent moves and consistent patterns. So this yes. is just the way we've 
uh, decided to do things. These are our standards, but it's not the standard. It's not the way. And so our mindful movement classes is taking all these little positions and cues and lingo, putting it into a yoga type class where people can form this movement meditation and movement practice while getting better at cues and getting better at lifting. Can I tell you though, I, I, I love that because maybe you agree with this. I think the big issue with fitness nowadays, and, and you can tell me if you agree or not, is is people, like you said, don't know if they could do certain things. So I feel as though there's a massive sensitivity to movement that has developed, right? And you, through your efforts and your coaching, you're just trying to show, like tell people that body awareness and, and being aware of how your body feels, you're not, you can do anything that you want to, you know, you just have to be able to understand how your body functions in certain types of exercise, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You can spend 15 minutes really paying attention to your body, learning to do certain move, feeling certain muscles and not have that be attached to, is this the right way to do it? Mm -hmm. Is this how I always should feel? Should I feel this when I'm running? Should I feel this when I'm lifting? So you can totally separate the two and have really great benefit from getting people to have a movement practice like that. And it's for everybody too. I kind of, I think it's so, uh, it's, it's for young people. It's for older people. You know, I, I, I like the idea of, of, of understanding, you know, how, how movement is meant to feel for you personally, you know, in, mm-hmm. in that moment. So that's all. Where do you see yourself going in the future with this? Are you going to create kind of scale it a little bit more? It already seems like you're, you're kicking ass with it. So I don't know. You may have already like you're, you're doing a great job as it is right now. My goal would be to turn it into a self-paced course, awesome, like a six week meditation movement meditation app. I don't know if you've heard of Sam Harris and his meditation app. Don't think so. No, but I mean, that's awesome already. I, I, th- I think that's so cool because there's, there are meditation apps out there, but not, not many that, or, or uh, not that I know of that take yoga and, and turn it into this, like, like almost adaptable yoga. Like you, you yeah. adapt it to people's lives. Like that's, that is something I could get behind because I don't know Yoga. Nobody really understands yoga. You know, there's a way to do it. And if somebody could package it like you're doing, uh, it's, that just would make it so beneficial. You're, you're right on yeah. no one understanding yoga. And I didn't understand it until 2019. Yeah. A little bit of background about myself. I am very flexible. I'm an ex-gymnast, cheerleader. Oh, and- awesome take cues well, super flexible. And in 2019, I was suffering from extreme mental illness. I was suicidal. I was fatigued. I couldn't exercise. And one day I said, you know, I'm just not going to try to lift anymore. And I'm just going to do something like yoga. And I'd never tried yoga before. I poo-pooed on it because the, the claims, I didn't like the claims of this is how your posture should be or yoga will make you flexible. And I don't Mm. really agree with that. So I poo-pooed it and then I tried it and then I, then I understood why yoga is like a cult Yeah, because it's this hour where you get to meditate and pay attention to your body and also challenge your body. And the way you feel after that is just amazing. And I started to Mm. understand why people were so obsessed with it. However, 
I am an ex-gymnast, I'm super flexible, I take cues well, and then I'm thinking about my own clients and I'm realizing they can't do any of these moves. So how can I bring what I am feeling now, all these amazing uh, experiences and bring it to their level? And that's when I ended up breaking my own model and turning it into this yoga type class. Do you think yoga is sort of a missing ingredient in you know, fighting depression? or fighting mental illness, do you think people need to maybe consider that as, as an option? I would say so. It's yeah. just or one way to find yourself being mindful yeah. and having a practice. And it doesn't have to be yoga. It could be hiking. It could be painting. It just, there's yeah. many options that people can find, but this is, this is one of them is using movement. Can I ask you this in you, in your, experience what how would you define mindfulness like what would you, what do you think that that refers to and i'm asking for myself because i know people have told me but i honestly don't know like I've, I've always wanted to know like what what that would refer to for some people mindfulness to me is your ability to pay attention okay without awesome. getting distracted Okay. That's, that's awesome. I, I can, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. That's hard. <laughs> that's really difficult. It is. Oh my gosh. A, yeah. And it's a skill and we, we all know it. It's just our society perpetuates us getting distracted constantly. And when it comes to anything, when it comes to nutrition, when mm -hmm. it comes to lifestyle change or, or, trying to figure out how to do something in a new way that is a healthier way. When I look at all these experts in other fields that I'm not part of, an example is that is uh, nutrition. Mm -hmm. You start to see these experts promote mindfulness as their step one before they start to implement these new habits. Because okay. if you're trying to change your behavior and you're trying to change your, your, your thoughts or the way you think, the first step is being able to pay attention to them. So are you True. able to even slow down enough to observe what you're thinking and what you're doing? Do you have enough awareness to notice that when you skip your bedtime multiple times in a row, you start skipping the gym and you start to binge at night? Like, mm -hmm. do you have the self-awareness, which is also connected with mindfulness? So the way I see it when it comes to this mindful movement is can I get people into that step one, being able to pay attention to their body through movement, and at least I can give them the basics of being able to pay attention, and then they can take that further with a uh, clinician or a psychologist or a nutrition expert. So what I'm really trying to do is kind of get the basics of mindfulness. Yeah, you're, you're trying to give people tools on their own self-awareness, and then they can take that and seek out help where it's needed, maybe. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Man, that's amazing. But I agree with that. I think I think you're on to something. Because the, the, you know, along the lines of yoga, you know, people don't know how to implement stretching. They don't know how to implement more, quote-unquote, therapeutic versions of to their workout you know because everybody's down in a rut right now and nobody knows how to add variety into people's working out do you feel like right now especially with dieting what do you think is is plaguing people at the moment with how they approach diets is there something you've been seeing extremism 
Okay. Yeah, it, I agree. <laughs> totally. This is what I noticed. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And diet has been something that I used to be comfortable. I, I wouldn't say I'd never given people advice and I've never given people meal plans because that is out of my I agree. scope. Yeah. But it was something tough. that I felt wasn't as because I was so into paleo at at a certain time and gluten-free and dairy-free. And that's what I believed. And last year when I started following Johnny Landles, who's a nutrition expert Mm -hmm. in the UK, and he opened my mind up to evidence-based nutrition. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, which sounds pretty cool. Yeah. That sounds like it might work a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) And his, he has completely changed my mind on what good nutrition is and it's very individual and it's making sure that you're not cutting out a certain food mm-hmm. and making sure that it's a process oriented situation that you're going into instead of cutting out foods or working on weight you work on habits you work yeah. on things that eventually will turn into results the way I like to explain it when it comes to not just nutrition, but anything, it's going to feel like you're wasting your time, but it will change your life. <laughs> That's a cool so way to put it. Focusing on chewing your food, focusing on your thoughts, focusing on mindfulness, focusing on your triggers when you have a craving is going to feel like a waste of time. But if you're consistent and do it every single day, three months down the road, you're going to look back into your life and think, damn, my life is so different. Do you think mindfulness helps with the motivation aspect? Do you think it, it building that foundation allows them to maybe continue when the road gets tough? Yes, I would say so. Okay. Cause I think that's maybe the Another issue too is that, you know, you can have, if obviously, you know, if they start down with a very strict diet, it's going to lose its effectiveness a couple weeks down the line. It's not going to last too long before they maybe go back to old habits, but it's, but yeah, I guess having the mindfulness and knowing where they can fix small habits is far more long-term and it's, it's a lot more adaptable than just like, oh, I'm going to be gluten-free, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And it goes back to the self-awareness of instead of thinking, well, I just failed Mm -hmm. being aware enough that you saw this coming. You stopped sleeping. You missed your bedtime. You started drinking every night and all these things. You're aware enough to see these things go wrong. So you know how to get back there. And what I've noticed is people are not aware. People yeah. have no idea all these little things led to this. Sometimes I, because I specialize with people who have chronic pain. Okay. And sometimes I see the flare-ups coming. Yeah. <laughs> I start hearing about, about them not sleeping enough, about them stressing out, about them being way too active and not recovering enough. And I see the flare-up coming in the future. And then when they flare up, they're like, what happened? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah. And people are just not aware of it. Well, I- Now, maybe also too, I don't know if you see this, do you think chronic pain is easily fixable? Is it, is it something that is due to maybe just a small thing in somebody's lifestyle, a very reversible problem? Or for the people you work with, is it something that is like, it's, it's something beyond that? Oh, much more complex. Okay. Okay. 
I, I exp- the way I explain pain is the more you learn about it, the more complicated it gets, but the less right. scary it becomes. Okay. Especially with chronic pain and people who've been dealing with it for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, pain brings in more money than cancer, diabetes, and heart disease combined. Yeah, so for sure. So it's very clear that we have this unhealthy relationship with it and have certain narratives and outdated stories around pain that lead to catastrophic thinking yeah. and they feel that if they have a little bit of pain after a hike that they re-injured themselves or it's their disc bulging out or they feel the herniated disc when the okay. reality is more complex than that we can't really pin a certain story behind why someone flared up okay that's i mean that's good for me to know because i oftentimes i i, I wonder if somebody uh, plays the blame game and and decides to blame it on like oh it's the it's the bread I eat it's the gluten in my diet you know I don't sometimes I have a tough time seeing you know where where it could actually be a a genuinely a genuine concern like oh they injured themselves and sometimes it seems like they just kind of like you you obviously have to lose weight like or else your knees wouldn't be hurting something like that. So that's also, I'm just an asshole. So that's probably the other reason why I think that. So, but yeah, that's to your point. I, I get what you're saying. Maybe there's, there is far more complexity and, and maybe that is something that me, myself and a lot of other people I talk to, we could be aware of, you know, is, is people's injuries, their past. There's a lot of things that combine to create chronic pain. Yeah. I mean, people come in with a really big fragile mindset and we have to remember and be compassionate about the fact that those beliefs didn't get there on their own. Yeah. And we have a lot of clinicians and chiropractors in the medical community that are putting these beliefs into people's heads and they spend decades believing certain things. Like every time they feel their back, it's their herniated disc. And so we have to understand that these beliefs are very deep. And then if we take it back to nutrition, if you have someone who read wheat belly a decade ago and thinks gluten is the worst thing that you could eat mm-hmm. and it makes you sick. We know that just thinking those things, if they eat gluten or they're exposed to gluten, they could have a reaction just by their thoughts. Okay. And oh, if, interesting. Okay. And if you're a coach and or if you're a nutrition coach, I would consider you an asshole if you get this client and just say, well, that's not supported by the research. It's like yeah. you shouldn't think that. Yeah, you're probably going to have a little more compassion towards these beliefs and kind of work at the client's pace. Sure. Pain clients the exact same way. They come in fra- feeling fragile. They come in feeling like their body's not capable of doing enough. And me as a coach, as a personal trainer, I need to meet them where they're at with their mm-hmm. beliefs and slowly build trust and slowly build confidence and slowly, very slowly change these beliefs because I'm going up against their doctor and their physical therapist that told them to never squat True. and told them to never bend their back. So a lot of trust has to come into working with these people successfully. Do you think that's kind of a common pitfall for new trainers is they, they make, a, they make a lot of promises they can't keep and they don't, and they don't meet the person where they are. They're kind of you know, maybe like an Instagram trainer and be like, you'll get fit in 60 days or something. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And they don't have patience for it because coaches know how resilient the body is. And they know that 
can handle more. But if you don't baby them at first and you don't validate what they're feeling and you you try to progress them faster than what they think they're comfortable with, you're going to lose them. And yeah. then they're going to go home and never, never exercise. So it's better to have them do too little at first and build trust. Because if you spend two months and you don't hurt them, like their last personal trainer, and you build a strong trust between each other, when you tell them you can totally pick up that 60 pound kettlebell, they actually believe you. Like, well, she she hasn't hurt me yet. <laughs> so yeah. I, I guess I'll try it. Yeah, and then it, that's how we slowly start building up. And then eventually they turn into a regular client. That's, that's amazing. So it's like being an effective coach is obviously you're not, you don't want to add to their pain. You don't. Exactly. Yeah. You mean to tell me that you have to make them feel good? What are you talking about? No, no pain, no gain. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> just and kidding. The emotional, the emotional component of it. I think this is something that I came to realize by dealing with my own pain. Yeah. And in 2018, I developed debilitating back pain. It was so bad that I had to beg my business partner to work for me all the time. So yeah. you know how that ends not well. Mm -hmm. That's <laughs> Someone's going to be resentful. Sure. And it got so bad that he had to carry me everywhere. I couldn't walk. I was abusing um, Advil. So I had all these stomach issues. I was self-medicating, smoking a ton of weed. And yeah. it was horrible. And it was a really bad time in my life. And a year later, after not having pain for like seven months after that, I had a small flare up and okay. it felt the same way. And just the emotional response of, oh shit, I don't want to go back there. Yeah. Like, I don't want to go back to that time in my life. Like, And I just, I got scared. I didn't want to exercise that week. I was just terrified. Even though I was not terrified of being injured, mm -hmm. um, I was terrified of being in that state again. And some clients... I was only a year, like only seven months where I had debilitating back pain. I have clients that spent five to 10 years in pain. So if they're working out and they're doing well and they get a little bit of a flare up mm -hmm. to the coach's perspective, that might not be a big deal, but you have no idea the emotional response that's going to bring towards the client. Yeah. Maybe it ruined their relationship. I had clients who had gone to the Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, multiple doctors, exploratory surgery. So, you know, they've drained their savings account and I'm sure their life is not that great because of this pain. Yeah. So you have to be understanding that if someone has a little bit of a flare up to you, it may not seem like a big deal, but to them, it might be a, let's put on the brakes, let's back it up. Let's go a little easy and work up again. Yeah. So there's, there's so many different factors, you know, bleeding into it that, that make it, make it a, a big, a big thing to deal with. And that makes sense. I mean, shoot, people struggle with so much. And I imagine all of the different factors that come into it, just, you know, they want somebody like you to be so understanding and, and guide them through it, you know?